Hello and welcome to Clean Beauty Asia's podcast. I'm your host, Ali Rook. This interview series is a collection of conversations with people who operate, support and facilitate beauty brands doing business in Asia. My aim is to provide valuable insights and information to make your beauty brand's transition into Asia as smooth and successful as possible. This first series is dedicated to cross-border e-commerce in China, and I really hope you find it valuable. Thank you so much for listening. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of my interview series. Today I've got Jennifer Carlson. She is a beauty brand strategist and a true beauty lover. Through her consultancy, she helps independent beauty brands figure out where they want to be and how they want to get there. She gathers and analyzes data on the beauty industry, publishing reports to help us all make sense of the trends. I'm really excited to have Jennifer here today to discuss lots of things, but in detail, we want to talk about her latest report on skincare brands in Sephora. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Ali. Really happy to be here and talk about my report. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about your report and why you started doing these reports? Because I think it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting one, Sephora, um, Sephora in particular. Yeah, so I do a lot of market research. Uh, I have a database with uh, now over 25,000 beauty brands in it and uh, 400 retailers, 13,000 products. And uh, the reason I chose to do a report specifically about uh, Sephora is that it really is the retailer that I hear brands saying, you know, we're starting out and in a couple of years, we're going to be at Sephora or like we're at Sephora for brands that are there. It's something you brag about. It is really like the thing you're everybody's striving for. You know, we just want to get into Sephora because that will prove that we've really made it as a skincare brand. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I decided specifically on Sephora to kind of look at uh, what kind of brands are they adding to the roster uh, to help give brands an idea of what does it take to actually get into Sephora because you have to really live up to a certain standard to get in there. And I think that's a big part of the appeal of Sephora is their kind of uh, prestige premium kind of uh, image that they have. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting look behind the scenes because, of course, you know, the, the information that you gather through your database and also all the research that you do is you know, it's so in-depth looking at looking at all the different brands and there are so many brands. And I think what's one thing that I found very interesting, even at the beginning of the report, was just looking at the new brands, but also the brands that are getting delisted as well. You know, what other what trends can we what trends can we draw from um, some of that? Um, one thing that you did talk about was that there has been a big shift in consumers going directly to Sephora and other specialty beauty retailers as part of the first step in their online journey. And I think you referred to this as a move away from Amazon. So I'm, I'm interested to understand a bit more about that and why it's happening. Yeah, I think, I think a big part of it has to do with the deficiencies with Amazon, maybe rather than 
what Sephora and Ulta is doing differently from before this. Mm. Uh, a big part with why consumers are moving away from Amazon, in particular with cosmetics, I think is the problem with uh, uh, kind of fake products being sold. Uh, there's been reports about uh, chemicals and bacteria in these uh, fake like counterfeit products being sold. And like a big issue is that consumers don't trust Amazon. They don't trust that the products are going to be uh, like legit, that they're going to be the real products that they're buying. Uh, I also think there are some concerns with the like people who are more like uh, kind of engaged with like the political issue of Amazon with how they're not really treating uh, workers well, there are environmental issues. Yeah. So I think some some consumers are just like boycotting Amazon, but for specifically for cosmetics, I think the biggest part of it is just the trust. And even if you're comparing also buying from Sephora compared to buying like directly from the brands, I think some consumers don't really trust brands as much as they trust that anything that is in Sephora, I trust that. They trust mm-hmm. Sephora. They trust Ulta. Sephora and Ulta, they're not going to sell me anything that's, you know, not good and that it hasn't been checked and that's going to be proper. So I think a lot of it has to do with trust. And you can see that too with like uh, clean beauty and the, that like that whole movement. I think a lot of it is about consumers just wanting to know what's in the product. And if you can't even trust that they're being honest about what's in the products, then that's going to be like an even bigger issue. So mm-hmm. I think I think that's like the biggest factors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, it was such a big shift, right? Like it, it, over the part from the statistics, it just looks like it's a big, a very big shift. And I totally understand about the trust aspects. Um, I think maybe also there's a variety aspect from versus buying directly on D2C, maybe a couple of few years ago, people were going more directly to from brand own websites, but maybe now people want more variety in their, in their assortment. I mean, if I look at marketplaces, it's obviously my focus is mainly on Asia and specifically China. And in China, um, Tmall, Tmall Global is where brands are sold online in China. And I think, you know, when you look at some people have drawn comparisons between Tmall and Amazon. And I think that Tmall really got over a lot of the trust issues, um, which they had these problems at the beginning, you know, they and, and they still do to some extent in, in some channels, but with the official stores um, and pe- brands have really got on board and built flagships within the within the marketplace that have built the credibility and i think maybe at something that amazon hasn't really succeeded in or they haven't done uh to the same extent anyway so yeah i think i think a difference too is that the way to kind of tmall and taobao is set up uh, it feels more like you're shopping from the brand's own website with how it's kind of customized in a different way like when you I you know I love looking at stuff from uh, Tmall also so uh, I, I I know like what the flagship stores look like and it really does feel more like it's your own website yeah. to shop from mm-hmm. well on Amazon it can be difficult to even see like if it's from the retailer or if it's from like another seller it's like kind of confusing on that honestly mm-hmm. and I think I, I do think like on Tmall that, that it it is like they have done a lot better. It used to be harder to see if something was a counterfeit or if it's like 
like no this is like an official seller this is looks legit it's presented in a really good uh, like in a really good way like I mean I get really impressed by like just like lifestyle and product photography on Tmall oh yeah there's so many of the standards so are beautiful high. yeah yeah beautiful. the standards are high yeah mm-hmm. no I mean I suppose yeah that totally makes sense and I think that to your point about Sephora, it, Sephora is the place that brands, certainly Western brands, when they're launching most brands, um, apart from maybe very high luxury brands, it's in their roadmap, right? Like they really want, there is a, that's a, a um, it's a show of success if you, if you get into Sephora. So I think it makes total sense as being a really great retailer to, to look at. And as part of your report, you look at brands that um, have been removed from Sephora and also added. So what sort of the, are the trends that you are seeing in the last sort of 12 months that you've looked at? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you can tell that Sephora uh, is trying to appeal more to Gen Z and also adding more diversely owned brands uh, are like some of the things that I'm seeing. Uh, if you look at previous years, you could see them adding more of the kind of uh, derm-approved kind of clinical medical type uh, brands, but you don't see as much of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like um, brands like uh, Hyper is a um, Black-owned brand. I think so, so is Rose Singleton. Uh, Renovat is a owned by Asian woman. And yeah, and then you have like really cult favorites like Paula's Choice being added. Uh, and I think um, I think they're really trying to uh, appeal to a younger audience and also uh, add to diversity are the biggest things that I see mm. uh, being yeah. uh, added to the store. Yeah, and I mean, it, uh, it's evident in the report that they need to focus on the diversity angle um, and, and also the Gen Z angle. It's obviously two areas that they are weak on. Um, and I guess their competition, you know, their closest competition in Ulta is, uh, is, is ahead. Certainly, I know from the Gen Z perspective, I'm not so sure about the diversity, but um, yeah, it's something they need to focus, they need to focus on. Yeah, so. I think, uh, I think Ulta does, I think Ulta has a pretty fair range of like more diversity owned brands too. I think part of it is that the barrier to entry to work with Ulta is a bit lower. Uh, and they take in a lot more brands, which also makes it possible for them to have more di- like diverse brands to take mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Uh, like some of the like one of the surprising ones that is kind of like an outlier of the new brands is Dam uh, Dam, uh, which is a Japanese uh, skincare brand. I actually got a couple of their products to try the moisturizer, the mochi mochi one. It's yeah. really nice. Like it's got a very different texture. It's just really interesting because most of the other brands are based in the States, uh, except for I think Face Gym is uh, UK based. Yeah. Uh, and then there's one Japanese brand that is kind of also an outlier in so many things. But uh, that's, you know, it's interesting kind of to see that there's some some different ones that are not as big, getting widely known yet that are taking in. Yes. I mean, I think that's interesting in terms of Sephora's um global strategy right so they've been pushing out in they launched in Korea in 29 end of 2019 um China obviously they've been going for some time Southeast Asia they're quite strong but North Asia in general they're quite weak so you know one thing they've now got teams on the ground in those markets so scouting for brands that they can bring 
to a market like the US or Europe where they're much stronger, I think is a very interesting angle for them to, to develop. But as you said, it sounds like so far it's pretty small. <laughs> it's very one brand they, they've uh, you know brought it recently anyway. Um, but I think that's an opportunity for them. I mean, I think with Sea Beauty, it's an opportunity for them. In China, you know, they didn't really bring many Sea Beauty brands in for ages. Now they're starting to bring a few more, but it's very, very selective in terms of what they're what they're bringing on. So, mm. yeah, I think the I think they hope to bring brands that have a lot of potential to be popular in the market that people aren't already seeing in uh, all other kinds of places that they can't get at Ulta and that they can't get at a bunch of other retailers, uh, which I think is a good move. I, I think they should take in more like uh, independent brands and brands that aren't already that don't already have pretty wide distribution. Mm. I think that can also be like a big pull if you're if this is the only place you can get it because you know it's hard to order sure they ship internationally but it, that's going to be a lot more to do so sure yeah, yeah. it's like it is a, in 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 the u.s it is such a brand platform right like it's a brand launching not launching but like expanding platform like brands will mm-hmm. launch they have they'll really accelerate when they go into sephora so i think that's um that's that's very interesting and and i really yeah i think they should focus more on bringing some more asian brands in um and so the next question is really around um, lack of focus on Gen Z consumers. So in your report, we can see that there's a weakness there and you alluded to it, something that they're obviously trying to look at with some of the new brands they've brought on. Um, but who do you feel is doing this better um, and why do you think Sephora is not so, not so strong here? Um, I think that like uh, a big part of it can be that they want to st- stay at this kind of premium prestige price point in general. And so even the brands that are kind of Gen Z targeted that Sephora has, uh, they're still quite expensive. Uh, and even with the kind of sorting I've done, I put nine brands kind of in the Gen Z category. The one, The only ones that I really feel are actually doing a good job of targeting Gen Z would be in beauty project, Otzi and Peace Out. And they're still at a pretty high price point for targeting a Gen Z audience at like uh, around $25 average per product. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when you look at Ulta, they have a much, much larger selection of uh, brands that are targeting a younger audience that also fit that price point. Uh, Several brands that have price points under uh, $10 in average per product. And uh, most of the Gen Z targeted brands are under $25 per an average per product. Uh, and I just think that offering a much wider selection for that audience is like a big part of why this audience, they are going to Ulta rather than going to Sephora. And you can see that their statistics showing that 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 is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think... Um, I think it, it it's also hard, like there are less brands in the market that are already established that are targeting Gen Z well. So I think there can, it can also be a bit harder to find like brands that will be a good match to take in. But 
I don't know, like, uh, it could, it, I think a big part could be the price that they want to have prestige, premium, luxury kind of reputation to stick to. And they finding it hard to kind of balance that while Ulta is open to be, you know, just serve more a more wide market. Yeah, and I think the market in general is is changing, right? So, I mean, you've got these brands that have done so well off um, low, low, simple um, ingredient skincare, like the Ordinary, the Inky List, with low price points that have done very well in the market, and they're already very established. And so just having a premium positioning doesn't, work because people who come into Sephora still want those brands but then they want to discover something else as well and they probably people that buy across different price points you know they're not just focused on one premium price point products or or so I think I think that's something that Sephora probably has to adapt adapt to because the consumer doesn't doesn't just want premium together anymore I feel yeah I mean one thing that's interesting is that when people talk about how popular brands like uh, The Ordinary and The Inculist are, they focus very much on, oh, they're like single ingredient uh, kind of thing, like they're very simple. That's mm-hmm. what consumers want. They want single ingredient. But when you also think about it, they're like the only like really affordable brands that are available at a lot of these, at like Sephora and some uh, many other like retailers. They're the brands that are you know, prominent that have affordable prices. Maybe you could do other kinds of brands that can offer good products at an affordable price point and also do really well rather than just trying to copy exactly what the ordinary and the inky list are doing. Sure, absolutely. And I think if you look at how, I mean, the inky list is not in China, but the ordinary is in China. And um, it started off quite well, but it's sort of plateaued and hasn't, um, you know, it's lost a bit of momentum. And, you know, China, the China market is very ingredient led, not simple at all, but just that ingredient linking ingredient to benefit very closely, like that very linear. They're not so much about the storytelling. They're sort of much more um, analytical, I suppose, in the way a lot of people choose their skincare. Um, and the ordinaries, you know, not blowing it out of the water. I mean, a brand that is is Skinceuticals. Like Skinceuticals is doing extremely well. So um, it is it is interesting that that what you say about the sort of definitely. I think in the U.S. market, there's room for for brands that are lower price point, but with a very different point of view to the ordinary and the inky list. Um, and and yeah. brands like. Um, something like Versed, like there are some brands with a low with a lower price point, but I I don't think they're in Sephora. Um, um no, they're not. Uh, I mean, I f- I think like um, from what you're saying about the Chinese market, that like honestly, from have the products I've tried from the ordinary, I don't feel like they're doing anything really special, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it appeals to people who are getting into learning about ingredients and kind of you want to play chemist with the. Uh, being kind of like oh this thing and this thing but when it comes down to it with how much you're lowering the development cost by just making a super simple product it's generally not going to give the results people are looking for for maybe some people get the results but it's not going to be giving really good results for everyone and it sounds like 
they come to China, people are like, oh, the ordinary. We've heard so much about the ordinary. People try it and they don't come back. Yes, probably. Yeah, I don't have the, unfortunately, I don't have the repeat purchase rates, but I can imagine, I can imagine that is the, that is probably the case. And, and efficacy, you know, efficacy for everyone, everywhere in the world, of course, that's what you're looking for, your skincare. But I think in China, it's, there's a laser focus on, on that versus sensorial or, you know, uh, the, you know, there's, um, yeah, they have a real laser focus on efficacy. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, in terms of, obviously you also do mini reports, which I really enjoy on LinkedIn um, with the rankings on uh, looking at brands across different categories, the rankings on Instagram. Um, and you talk, you know, I know you use your, you talked at the beginning about your algorithm and, and your, your database and how you manage it. So when you're identifying brands with good potential in your rankings for on Instagram, how do you how do you sort of analyze that? Tell us a little bit about about that. Uh, do you mean how I rank the list or how I decide which brands to add to the list? Both. I mean, both is interesting. Yeah. So for adding brands to the list, uh, generally. Um, I look for them to have like at least like a certain amount of followers. I can drop it a bit for brands that are really new and like they're likely to get over that threshold pretty soon. Uh, I also look at the engagement. Uh, generally, I uh, I feel like it, there's no use like adding a bunch of brands that are just going to end up at the bottom of the list mm-hmm. because it doesn't really, especially for like the skincare list, there's already over 700 brands and it's more interesting to see which ones are at the top. Yeah. So uh, with the way that I rank the brands, it's uh, completely based on the numbers. Uh, I have no control over where they end up. Yeah. Um, what I'm looking to track is not just who has the most followers, because that's not that interesting, really, because, you know, the brands with the most followers are going to be either brands that bought followers that are kind of legacy brands that are available literally everywhere. And that's why they have a lot of followers, because just from familiarity. The thing that is more interesting are brands that are gaining traction, that are getting a lot of engagement and uh, they're gaining a lot of followers consistently. So those are the things that I mostly look at. It is uh, the followers, like the total amount of followers they have, the engagement rate, like how many of their followers are engaging with their content and their growth over time. Uh, That's what ranking is based on. What I, also, what I really like about it, too, is that it does give a chance for brands that are smaller to actually show up on the list because of the trajectory they have. Not, so it's not just focusing on the brands that have already have the most, because if they're in decline, they shouldn't be on a list of the brands that are trending, even yeah. if they have like a ton of followers. Yeah. So, yeah. And I quite like it because it's very clear to see the increase or decrease, you know, who's gone up the rankings and who's come down the rankings. And as you said, having some brands that are much smaller um, on there to sort of see what's trending is is very interesting. So I recommend it to any any beauty brands that are looking at sort of what's going on in the market. Um, uh, Check out Jennifer's LinkedIn because I because I, I really enjoy those those reports, uh, mini reports. Um, so I guess in terms of um, finishing up, from, from this, this big report that you've done with all these skincare brands in, in Sephora, what's the 
main takeaway that you feel that, um, or the main thing that brands who, who would look at the report will take away from it? Um, I think that, uh, I think it's really important to actually think about the Gen Z audience and for brands that are actually targeting that audience to think about what they are valuing. Um, uh, I kind of cover at the end, the, like some of the points I have that Gen Z cares a lot about sustainability, actually. And I know that Sephora has this effort of the planet positive, which honestly, I think is greenwashing, arguably. Uh, I It's really hard to call a brand that uses almost all plastic packaging uh, planet friendly uh, or planet positive. And I think that Sephora is going to need to take in brands that are actually sustainable. Mm. So brands that are focused in that way that really can provide that, that are also fulfilling the other standards of Sephora. I think there's a big opportunity. Uh, one brand that I think you can really see uh, uh, that really live up to this that Sephora in the US just picked up is Kate McLeod. Uh, they're completely plastic free. They have like really nice uh, uh, body, like solid body moisturizers with different scents to them. That's mm -hmm. like a great example of a brand that lives up to sustainability. They have like the branding that it looks uh, prestige and premium enough to fit into Sephora. And I think I, I really believe that that kind of brand will uh, be more and more in demand and has there's an opportunity to get into Sephora by uh, by being that kind of brand. Mm. Uh, I also think that they're looking a lot for more diverse brands, which also I think connects to appealing to Gen Z. Uh, you can see in a lot of uh, different surveys and statistics that studies they've done that Gen Z does care about this. They care about brands that are inclusive. So, you know, you can't change who the founder of the brand is, of course, but you can make sure that your brand has the very inclusive uh, way that you're like who is in your marketing? Like uh, if you're makeup, uh, what's your shade range like? Uh, and being really inclusive, I think uh, it's very important moving forward to appeal to that audience. And I think that's something that Sephora is probably looking for also, or they should be, <laughs> they should be looking for. Yes. Uh, so I think those things are the biggest. That, that makes sense. And in the report, you've identified through the analysis of those two gaps. I mean, in the report, it's very clear because you obviously look at the numbers of brands that fit into these, both the diversity and also the um, uh, also the Gen Z categories. And it's it's glaringly clear that, that those, are, those are gaps that, that Sephora should be looking at and hopefully, and the sustainability piece that Sephora should be looking at and uh, is hopefully, hopefully looking at. Um, well, thank you, Jennifer. I think it's um, it was wonderful to read the report, and I think anyone that um, wants to learn more about the report or um, get in touch with you, I'll put your LinkedIn details uh, below so they can do that. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, too. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Clean Beauty Asia, the podcast with me, Ali Rook. I hope you found the content useful with tips and tricks and takeaways that can really help you move your China journey forward. I always like to hear from my listeners, so please join me on LinkedIn, Ali Rook, or Instagram, Clean Beauty Asia. 
and I'll be very happy to talk to you more. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.